turn to Psalm 113. And if you don't have a Bible, this entire psalm is right there in the bulletin, so you can just follow along. Psalm 113. Again, I want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Welcome to worship at Downtown Presbyterian. And if there are ways that we can be helpful to you, if you haven't been here before, please let someone know and we'll find someone that can answer your question or help you. And let me tell you what we're doing this morning. We, we have not started our sermon series for the fall. Lord willing, we're going to start on that next week. And we're going to be doing a series this fall and probably spilling over some into the winter after Christmas on Revelation. Please begin praying now for Brian Habig, okay? The book of Revelation. I think it's going to be great. And I, I think it's going to be a rich study, but it's just, there's a lot there. So I always need your prayers as does Jake need prayers, but uh, please pray for that series. But this morning, what we're doing is the the fourth of a little mini-series. I came off sabbatical about a month ago, and I just wanted to do sort of a back-to-square-one, back-to-basics, core values that we have as a church. And so the one I wanted to finish with this morning is about worship. And the way I want to do that is through looking at this psalm, because worship is not so much a study of you know, the mechanics of it, although we can talk about that, why do we do a benediction and things like that. But it's about the God who is worthy. That's where the word comes from. His worthship. He's the object. Um, we're looking at Psalm 113 this morning. Uh, last Sunday night, I got to give a little show and tell about my sabbatical and appreciate the great turnout we had. One of the pictures that I showed was from Maudlin College in Cambridge, England. And this is where C.S. Lewis spent the last nine years of his life and his working life. And preachers like me quote C.S. Lewis so much from his Christian books and uh, and the Narnia books, the children's books, that sometimes we forget that writing those books was not his day job. His day job, mostly at Oxford and then later at Cambridge, was he was a professor of medieval and Renaissance literature. That was his expertise. And C.S. Lewis wrote an essay out of his vocational life, and it was called The Necessity of Chivalry. And it was about knights, knights with a, with a K. And here's how he starts that essay. He said that a knight is a man who is called upon to do two things at one time that are just uh, seemingly opposed to each other. A knight is somebody who has to be incredibly fierce, and incredibly gentle. And a knight is not either or. A knight has to be both and. And he's not just both and, but he he has to be fierce to the nth degree. Lewis said a knight was somebody who was accustomed to the sight of decapitated bodies and smashed in bodies. That was just normal meat and potatoes life for a knight. And he was so gentle that he was almost maiden-like. Both and, to the nth degree. Psalm 113 gives us, the psalmist is is presenting to us God and his two realities about God. And it's two realities that that they almost seem to be opposed to each other. And the psalmist is putting them in front of us saying, this is why God is so worthy of being worshipped. Psalm 113. 
Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, in His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My first uh, job out of seminary was as a campus minister at my alma mater, Mississippi State University. And a few years into that ministry, I I saw something. It was the only time I ever saw this in campus ministry. I saw one of our students, a guy, undergrad, begin to lose weight to an unhealthy degree. And he was losing weight because of his theology. And here's what happened. He came, out of a, he came out of a church background, but the way he would describe it is that in his background, he had not had very substantive teaching. And he, he got to college, got involved with our ministry, and, and I'm not saying this to toot our horn, but you know, the, the way he described it is, I feel like I'm getting meat for the first time. And he was being stretched in so many ways, and he was hearing and learning things about God and about himself, and that's very important about himself that he had never really thought about. And, and he was, he was fi- finding the same at the local church. It was just a real growth spurt. But what happened was, theologically, the way I would say it is that his doctrine of sin spiked before his doctrine of God caught up with it. In other words, that, that his new biblical understanding of how sinful he really was really went up. And the fullness of who God is, biblically, had not caught up with it. And so he felt overwhelmed with how bad he was. And that can express itself differently with different people, but the way it expressed itself in him was the way he was going to show himself, and I think in some ways was going to show God that he was not morally out of control, was that he would skip meals. And that was his way to demonstrate, I am not morally just completely out of control if I can do this and maybe spend that time reading my Bible and praying. And I was just watching his clothes get looser and looser. And sometimes I tell stories and then I don't give the end. So, and so that I don't do that, God burst in and that doctrine of who he is caught up with it and um, he, he's doing beautifully now. But I say that to say that it's possible for, let's say, the bigness of God and the holiness of God 
to be bigger in your heart or in your sight than the love of God and the nearness of God. Or it, you can flip that. Is, is that almost all He is is friend and relational and loving. And there really is no sense in our hearts that He's very holy. He's very different than us. And He's not a peer. He's the King. And what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 113 is, he's saying, look, praise the Lord, but I want you to know both these things about God. And these things that I'm setting in front of you, it's not either or, it's both and. Uh, This Psalm 113 is a hymn. A lot of of the psalms are. It's a hymn that would be sung. Uh, There's different kinds of psalms. This is the first of the group of psalms that are called the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. What does that mean? Uh, Let me take that out of order. Hallel is Hebrew for praise. And you saw that word all through this psalm. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Hallel. It's Egyptian because over time... This group of psalms, that this one and the, the following ones, became identified with the Passover. And in a devout Jewish home, even in Jesus' day, in a Jewish home, when they celebrated the Passover, they would sing this group of psalms, and the first song you would sing at Passover would be Psalm 113. Um, it's about the name of the Lord. You know, His name, when you see the Lord in all caps, that's Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. God is His title. The Lord, Yahweh, is His name. I think it's eight times in this psalm. And, and, and several times it talks about the name of the Lord. What is His name? Is it just the consonants and the vowels? His name is who He is. And what he does flows out of who he is. But his name is who he just is. All right, well, who is he? And here's what the psalmist puts out. Two things. Now, I'm going to use words that are not in the Bible, but they, it's, it's like the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But the word Trinity gets at tons of stuff that is in the Bible. Here are two words that are like that. Transcendence and eminence. Transcendence, the bigness of God, the majesty of God. He's the creator. We're the creatures. He is not on the hook. If anyone's on the hook, we're on the hook. He is not on the hook. He made us. And He's near. He is kind. He is patient, loving, merciful. All right, now how do you see God's transcendence? Look in verses 4 through 6. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? That question, that rhetorical question, who is like God? Who is like the Lord? That is one of the favorite rhetorical questions in the Old Testament. You bump into it. Several times. In fact, there's some figures in the Old Testament whose names mean that in Hebrew. Who is like God? Who is like the Lord? And it's a rhetorical question. And the answer is no one. No one's like God. Even Satan, for all his power, for all his intelligence, for all the things that he does all over the world, no one is like the Lord God. 
He has to stoop down, condescend to see the heavens, to see space. If you're watching the news, you're watching, you know, the National Geographic Channel, Nat Geo, sorry, you know, watching something like that, and and you see these, these are the furthest images from space we've ever gotten from the uh, Hubble telescope or whatever the best telescope is. When you see those images, you're never looking at an image that exceeds the full presence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it it cannot contain him, for he made it. And, not but, and he's imminent. Now, what does the psalmist say about that? He starts off in verse 7. He says, he, this God, he raises the poor from the dust. Now, I don't know if this will be helpful to you, but this has been helpful to me thinking about when the Bible talks about the dust. When um, I was on a short-term missions trip with a group in rural Mexico one time and um, a lot of dirt roads. And thankfully, the presence of Coca-Cola. Okay, Coca-Cola is everywhere. And it was in this just rural, out in the middle of nowhere village. And we were hot. And we were doing a lot of manual labor. So bring on the Coca-Cola in glass bottles, I might add. And the, the, the kind of the, the head of this group said, listen, when you, when you drink Coca-Cola here, always wipe the bottle off, which I'm sure is pretty good advice wherever you are. But he said, the reason I'm telling you that is look at these roads. And you, you didn't just have dirt roads, but you had donkeys and horses. And he said, think about what's happening. They are leaving waste on the road and this that dries out and it's pulverized and this soil dust and that dust all just becomes dust and when these pallets of Coca-Cola bottles are on the backs of trucks uncovered and they come into the village that dust flies up and then it falls down on the bottles so wipe off the bottles and I, I think about that when I see the phrase in the dust Because when you think about a poor man or a poor woman, like the psalmist is talking about, they're not sitting so much like dust the way they might be if they were standing or sitting alongside West Washington. They're sitting in a context that a Judean road would be much more like that Mexican road, right? And it says that you want to know who God is? God sees this man or this woman. And they may be sitting there because of bad choices, Or they may be sitting there because of oppression or because an evil force has taken over Israel. They may be sitting there because of a physical disability. But whatever the cause, they're sitting in the dust. And God comes to him or her there and comes alongside them and picks them up and brings them into a place of honor. Who cares if the poor guy ever gets into a place of honor? And the psalmist says, God cares. That's who cares. Or or the way the psalm ends, talking about the barren woman, a a Jewish singer of this hymn would have thought about Samuel the prophet in the Old Testament, his mom, Hannah. Hannah prayed. Self at God's feet. If, 
If you are a believer and you're in relationship with other people, here's something that's going to happen to you. People are going to talk to you about their problems. Now, some of you more than others. Some of you are... Um, I had a friend that said he'd, he'd been nicknamed PLP by his friends. And I said, what does PLP stand for? Personal Leaning Post. You know, that just, he, just had, he just was magnetic about people would come to him and tell him all their problems. Some of you are like that, but it's likely if you're in a real relationship, people are going to tell you their problems. Now think about this. If, if what you really click with about God is His bigness, His transcendence, and you don't have a healthy sense of the other, what you're probably, what you're probably going to do is become a pronouncer. Well, you know, here's what I'm hearing you say, if you even get that far. Uh, here's what God says in His Word. Here's where I think you need to repent. Boom. And that's typically not helpful if that's all you get. However, if all you click with is God's eminence, you might become an enabler where you are a fantastic listener and a fantastic empathizer and you won't ever nudge someone in love. To say, look, I I love you. I love you. That doesn't change but I think you've got to look at this about your life. And that might need to come after two hours of listening, but there is a time and a place for that. And think about It's knowing both through the gospel that enables you to do that and rescues you from being a jerk or an enabler. Think about our worship. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to look at this text. When we come together... It is on purpose, and I want you to know this. It is on purpose that we read texts and we sing songs and we preach about the fact that God is a God of holiness and justice and wrath. Because there's just no escaping that the Bible says that. And Jesus, the most loving person who ever lived, says that. And we've gotten accustomed to our sin. God has not. And part of worshiping Him is to say that's who He is in His perfection. But part of loving Him and praising Him for His name is to say, but man, that's not all He is. Because if all He was was holiness and justice, that would be our doom. And the reason we can come in here and not only know that we're not going to just be annihilated, but we can know He is for me. And He is the lifter of my head. And when I'm sitting looking at a laptop or my phone or a monitor and I'm getting some horrible news about health or work or someone's mad at me or whatever and I'm just undone, He is right there with me and He loves me so much. And He always will. And it won't change. He won't love me more when I go to heaven than He loves me right now. We need to know that all the time that He's the lifter of our head. People who don't deserve to have their heads lifted, He will lift it up. But what's the ultimate application? It's not even a worship service, although that's huge, but I want to end with this. The ultimate application of Psalm 113 is walking around 24-7 wanting to praise Him.
Now, no one can make you do that. And no amount of lecturing saying, we ought to praise God because He is so great, that will not make you praise Him. What makes you praise Him? And I'll end with this. Um, I've mentioned this before. John Bunyan was a writer in the 1600s. And he, this book used to be way more known than it's known now. Pilgrim's Progress used to be on almost any English-speaking book-owning person's shelf or shelves. But he, he wrote a spiritual autobiography called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. I don't know that I would recommend it to you, which will probably make you all get on Amazon like during the sermon and order it. But I, the, the reason I say that is that he goes through such a just terrible... It's not a dark night of the soul. It is just... He goes through an abyss. It is... And I think I read that too early in my Christian life and thought that I ought to feel that way. And if you're prone to despondency, that's not the best summer read. But, but where the light really starts to break in in that book is he... Uh, he's talking about... He's on a walk... He's walking along in England, and he's thinking about how sinful he is. He's just thinking about how bad he is. He's, he's thinking. He says he's thinking about his blaspheming heart. And but he, he knew a lot of Bible already, and the scripture popped in his mind, the Holy Spirit. And the scripture was from the book of Colossians, and it's, it was this verse that says that God has made peace with us through the blood of His cross. And whatever Jesus meant when He said, having ears to hear, it, it was as if at that moment, the light broke through. And the way, he, the way He describes it, He says, I began to see that by that blood, that God and my soul could be friends. That God, uh, that God the judge and my sinful soul could embrace and kiss each other by that blood. He says, that was a good day for me. I hope I shall never forget it. The, the, the ultimate way that you live in a Psalm 113 is to understand this. If you're in Christ this morning, we were not raised from the dust to sitting with princes. We were raised from death to sitting with Him. We will sit with Him one day, but the New Testament says we now sit with Him. If you don't know that that is true of you, I want you to know two things about God. We must answer to Him. We must stand before Him. We either stand in His Son's righteousness or our own, and we have no righteousness to offer. Flee from the wrath to come. And this God loves sinners. This God loves bad people like us. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord. From the rising of the sun to its setting, let the name of the Lord be praised. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would take your word 
and from what it is saying to us that you would feed us and change us so that in our, in our thoughts of you, we don't crash to one side or the other, but we hold on to and love and delight in how awe-inspiring you are and how kind you are and that we will stay near the cross and see who you are there. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.